Well, it's good to see you again, and I'm looking forward to sharing Psalm 91 with you. It's a, a psalm that uh, I think once we hear it, we all fall in love with it. And this morning, I'm going to be using, uh, I, I think you have the slides, and uh, I'll be going through the psalm with the slides, so I'm going to read it to you as we move through um, the, the psalms. One little word can sometimes be the thing that devastates our ego and hopes, or it can be the word that gives us greater confidence and encouragement. One person told me that uh, she, when she was in high school, the English teacher asked the students to write a theme on their summer vacation. And in the course of the essay, she wrote, I really enjoyed myself. When the English teacher read the theme, she wrote in the margin, illiterate, with an exclamation point. She said, you enjoy something, not yourself. That one little word was devastating to this student and for many years virtually immobilized her writing ability. One little word. There are other instances when one little word can build up a person's courage and send them on their way to greater personal confidence and achievement. In Martin Luther's great hymn that we all love, A Mighty Fortress, He makes the point that one little word, God's word, is enough to defeat the forces of evil. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. We tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, For lo, his doom is sure, one little word will fail him. Talking about the devil. Psalm 91 has one little word that functions like this. In part one of the psalm, we are assured that we can trust God's deliverance from our extraordinary dangers of life like war, and pestilence, verse 3. For he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the noisome pestilence. Last Sunday we looked at Psalm 73 and I did something similar there because the outline of the psalm uh, merited it. And we saw a, a, a triple word pattern in Psalm 73. Surely, surely, surely. And I went through the psalm and showed you how those... Uh, that one little word supplies an outline for the psalm and the, uh, highlights the message of the psalm. On the screen, you will see an outline of the psalm that shows us how that one little word functions in, the psalm, in this psalm to assure us that God will always be with us and we can always trust him. Actually, the psalm begins with an introduction that lays that out for us in verses 1 and 2. 
He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my, my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. Now, having read that introduction, we can expect to see something in the psalm about trusting God. Now, this one little word in, in this psalm is translated in two ways. It's not surely this time. Actually, if you're reading NIV, I think the first, the, the first time in verse 3, it is translated surely. But in ESV, which we're going to use this morning, um, it's four. And then in uh, verse, verse three, it's surely or four. In verse nine, it's because. At verse 11, it's four again. And at verse 14, it's translated because. You see the, uh, I think those are highlighted in red. And you can see how that's, that's the same word. It just occurs four times, and the translator has rendered it for, because, uh, for, because. Now, this one little word is an assurance that God's saving grace is ours to have. Surely he will save you from the fowler snare and from the noise of pestilence. So part one of our psalm assures us that we can trust the Lord. He's trustworthy. And I want you to see something else about this psalm that helps us put it together. This one little word introduces an idea that carries through this entire stanza. So if you look at this uh, uh, first stanza, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and the, from the no- deadly pestilence. Now it doesn't occur in the other lines of the stanza, but it occurs in verse 3 as and governs all of the lines of the stanza. That's the way the writer does it. That's the way the writer did it in Psalm 73 last Sunday when we were looking at that. So in verse 4, we can assume that we could prefix that first statement in verse 4. For he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. And verses 5 and 6. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, in verses 7 and 8. And you notice that I've prefixed four before this, every line of this stanza, so that you will understand that once the writer has used this one little word, it's just the word key in Hebrew. It can mean for, because, surely. Once he has introduced it, then he assumes that we understand that it's the prefix to all of the lines that follow in that stanza. 
For a thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. So the first part assures us that we can trust God for safety in the extraordinary dangers of of the world. And maybe to our surprise, maybe to our shock, our world has become a dangerous world. You can get attacked in, on the streets of Naperville and Wheaton as well as Chicago. It's all around us. It's not just a local thing. It's a world thing. We, we know what's happening in Israel today it is just atrocious. In fact, this one little word, for, or surely, or because, ought to be prefixed, as I've said, to every clause of this part of the psalm. You see, the certainty this one little word offers us, deliverance and safety from the dangers of life, dangers that are a mixture of war and pestilence, while in the midst of them, a thousand are falling at one side, and 10,000 on the other side. That one little word is, is a signpost of God's wonderful love for us. For the word for is a powerful word of assurance because it re- represents the God of certainty. Now, we should note that our psalm begins by the assurance that we can trust God. I read verses 1 and 2 to you. It does so in a very interesting way, and here is one of those principles of interpretation of the psalms that I would love for you to get a a handle on. I'll explain it, and uh, you may recognize that we do the same kind of thing in our conversations. It, it, this song uses the names that Abraham and Moses used for God. Most High, the Almighty, and the Lord. These names tell a story, in fact. They tell the story of Abraham and Moses and connect the psalmist to the faith of these ancient worthies. God was known to Abraham as the Most High, Genesis 14. And God was known to all three patriarchs as God Almighty. The name of Abraham could conjure up how God protected Abraham before Pharaoh and Egypt and Abimelech and Gerar. And the name God Almighty could bring to mind how God protected Jacob before Esau and before Shechem. So when they heard this name for God, they would immediately think about the story behind that word. So when the psalmist says, Lord, his listeners likely thought of Moses at the burning bush when God revealed his name to Moses as Lord, Yahweh. In essence, our psalmist is confessing his faith in terms of the patriarch's faith. The Most High was his shelter. The Almighty was his shade from the blazing sun, and the Lord was his his refuge. We sometimes do the same thing. Uh, Dr. V. Raymond uh, Edmond was president of Wheaton College from 1940 to 1965. 
a great man of God, a legend, in fact. And he was well known for his memorable and pithy sayings that were an expression of his own faith and an inspiration to thousands of students throughout the years. Among those expressions were, not somehow, but triumphantly, Another was, it's always, soon to, it's always too soon to quit. Another, never doubt in the dark what God told you in the light. And another, chin up, knees down. These faith, faith expressions give a sense of this man of God's persistent, trusting, and prayerful faith and when Wheaton College students recalled them, they often began, became a confession of their own faith in the language of Dr. Edmund. Just as our psalmist confesses his faith in the language of Abraham and Moses just by mentioning the names that are connected to those patriarchs. In Dr. Edmund's book, Not Somehow But Triumphantly, he includes a letter from a Wheaton College alumnus who was a resident in neurosurgery at a New York, New York hospital. This resident was called upon to assist in emergency surgery on another Wheaton alumnus. And during the operation, the patient had a cardiac arrest. The surgical staff tried unsuccessfully for almost an hour to restart the patient's heart. And when this unnamed resident had to take his turn, and someone said, we might as well quit. And at that moment, this young resident remembered Dr. Edmund saying, it's always too soon to quit. And he began to pray. And as he was working on the patient, Suddenly, the EKG spontaneously reverted to a normal rhythm and pulse and blood pressure rebounded. The patient survived and recovered. Now, the second part of this song, this is stanza two, is verses nine through ten. And it's dominated by this one little word again occurring in verse nine. And it should, be, it should be translated because, although NIV, uh, if you're reading it, NIV, doesn't translate it at all. But uh, you, you, you don't know that as a, as a non-Hebrew reader, but I'm telling you that, and you have to take my word for it. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. Now, in this short stanza, because introduces the conditions, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. And because of that, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. Now, we know that... Uh, Psalm 91 is giving us the best side of faith. It doesn't deal with the other side, 
And that's another topic that we could talk about. Why is it that sometimes things don't turn out so well for us? But that's another topic, and it'll it'll take me a little while to uh, go through that one. So in this part of the psalm, we hear how we can trust the Lord in those circumstances of life that we call domestic. In your... uh, Nothing shall befall you. No plague come near your tent. And of course, they lived, most of them lived in tents. And nothing shall happen to you on your ways. That's the normal activities of life. So we can trust the Lord when we're at home and as we go about our daily routine. Now, the psalmist's third affirmation, we've had two affirmations now that you can trust the Lord. The psalmist's third affirmation is in verses 11 through 13. And it's introduced by the translation um, 4, as we saw in, in the earlier slide. For... He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Now, in the next line, we have to assume that this introductory clause that he uses, because he will command his angels' charge concerning you, shall be, should be prefixed, at least in our minds, as we read this. For because he will command his angels concerning you in all your ways, that's to be prefixed, you will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. You see how how because introduces the condition or situation, and then by implication it's implied. It prefixes every circumstance that follows in verses 11 through 13. And it seems to me that the plural angels is important here. We sometimes talk about our guardian angel, singular. But here is a whole host of angels. The plural, I think, is important. It shows us what defensive forces God has assigned to us. And he gives us a remarkable detail that God will command his angels concerning you. They're acting at God's command. And they are acting concerning you. They're specific, they're personal, and the angels are numerous. In the Old Testament, angels sometimes appear as heavenly beings and sometimes they appear as human beings. Some of us have experienced both kinds of visitations of angels. The writer to the Hebrews admonishes us, do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have entertained angels unawares. A few weeks ago, a a friend from India who had been one of our students at the college wrote me a little text 
and said, my friend is going to be in Wheaton this weekend, and he needs a place to stay. Can you host it? Well, I said to Rhonda, well, the Lord tells us not to be reluctant to entertain strangers because sometimes we entertain strangers unaware that they are angels. So we said, yes, we'll entertain him. Well, it turned out that he was just a great blessing to us the whole weekend. And I figured, this is one of God's angels he sent for us to be encouraged. There's a story that comes out of the uh, many stories of 9-11. On May the 15th, 2014, the National September 11 Memorial and Museum was dedicated and open to the public in New York City. Among the many artifacts from that horrible day in American history is the following letter of a survivor rescued by an unidentified policeman. Her letter doesn't talk about angels, but this is precisely what happened to her. And sometimes angels appear as human beings to pick us up and to lest we dash our foot against a stone. Here's the woman's letter. You literally picked me up off the sidewalk that day. I was on the east side of City Hall Park. And after the Second World Trade Center collapse, I was running from the wall of dust and flying debris when I fell. I was terrified. People were running over me and past me. You lifted me up off the ground and said, run with me. After a few blocks, when I said I didn't think I could run anymore, you said, run just a little further, and then if you can't, if you can't run, I'll carry you. You got me to a safe place and went back to help others. I didn't get your badge number or your name, but I will never forget you. And she signed it with love and gratitude. And, in parentheses, the lady in the gray dress and yellow sweater. Now, the fourth part of this psalm is a word from the Lord himself. I think it is just beautiful. Verses 14 through 16. So far in the psalm, we have heard the psalmist speaking to Israel, speaking to us. And here we hear the Lord's voice. The Lord himself is speaking now, as the psalm closes. And this word is absolutely remarkable. Because it is God's affirmation of the psalmist. Because he loves me. That's the way NIV translates it. It it literally means because he or she clings to me. That's the word that is used here. It clings to me. And ESV has translated it so beautifully. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. Now that's the introductory sentence. God is speaking. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. Now, we assume that we should prefix this introductory statement to every line of the psalm, because that's the way it functions. That's the way this one little word functions. 
So 14b, because he holds fast to me in love, I will protect him because he knows my name. Because he holds fast to me in love, when he calls to me, I will answer him. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will be with him in trouble. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will rescue him and honor him. Because he holds fast to me in love, with long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. You see how it functions? Think of having that to your credit. And this is the fourth affirmation of trust, not the psalmist's affirmation of God, but God's affirmation of the psalmist. We can trust God because God loves us enough to affirm us just one little word, because he loves me. There are other notable moments in Scripture when God affirms us, tells us what we are doing, that we're doing something right. He reminds us that he is pleased with us. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. God is affirming these people. The book of Hebrews mentions those who still were looking for the fulfillment of God's promises, never giving up. And he said this about them. God is not ashamed to be called their God. I can't imagine God saying this about me, but what grace that he is not ashamed to be called my God. He's not ashamed to be called your God. Can you imagine that God might say that about you? That God might say that about me? God is not ashamed to be called our God. This divine word is an acknowledgement of the psalmist's faith, and that too is a word of grace. That God should should deem our faith worthy of his acknowledgement. We've not heard God's voice in the psalm at all until we get to verse 14. We've heard only the psalmist. And now to acknowledge our faith, to celebrate true love, clinging love, God himself speaks. The final voice of the psalm is God's. And it's all about us. I know that you as a congregation have walked through some difficult places this year. And the Lord sent Chaplain Wilson to to lead you along through the valley to the hilltops. So keep clinging to the Lord in love. And he will honor your desires. He will answer your prayers. The Lord can because he's our refuge and our fortress and our God in whom we can and we should trust. Parts 1 and 1 through 3 of this psalm celebrates our trust in God. And in the fourth part, the Lord affirms his trust in us.
Can you imagine that? That he trusts us. That God should trust us human beings is a miracle of love. Through 58 years of marriage, I've always felt that the greatest tragedy that could ever befall me would be for my wife Rhonda and our children to lose their trust in me. A tragedy of greater portions would be for God to lose his trust in me, in us individually, in us as his church, proclaiming his wonderful and holy word. God remembers that we're just flesh. He knows all all these things about us. But he still trusts us. We're his instruments of grace. It's a truth of miraculous portions that God trusts us in the first place and that he says, because he loves me, I will rescue him. I suppose when we look at it in a broad range of scripture, this is the penultimate word to God's final word. Well done, good and faithful servant. We start off with the word of grace in the psalm. We entrust the Lord. And he says it three times in different ways. We end with the miracle of grace that God can trust us. So let's renew our resolve. Our faithful God will come through with his resolve. You can trust him. He's our fortress and our refuge. And he will always honor our faithfulness. And that's what he calls us to. May his name be blessed. Amen. Let us pray. Father, this psalm is not just written for an ancient audience far away in time and place. But it's written for us, for Restoration Community Church in their time of need, in their time when they may wonder if the day is coming when they will have a loving and faithful pastor. But you are a God we can trust to do the right things for us, to do the things that we never imagined that you might do. And we also are so grateful that you trust us to carry out this work of grace and healing through your church, and through our faithful service by the Holy Spirit. So we ask for good things to come to Restoration Community Church for your glory, because they hold fast in love.